Ponds, pubs, community action, and sheep in nappies. Did I read that right? Hello, my name is Samuel, and I'm from Fish Ponds. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I love fish ponds. I, you know, I never really understood it that people would sort of look down their nose a little bit at fish ponds because um, I always thought it was nice. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's not mega there's not mega crime in the area or anything like that there was you know a, a little bit of street crime and and anti-social behavior but not like other areas but whenever i'd be out and i'd i'd say i was from fish ponds people would sort of um be a bit snobby about it so i i spent years whenever i was out talking fish ponds up and telling people it was the land of milk and honey and now it's come to slap me in the face because everybody wants to live there now and i can't you know when we were looking to buy we couldn't afford to buy in fish ponds like so you know Actually, it's rubbish if you're listening to this. Don't go to fish ponds. <laughs> We're full. <laughs> That's Samuel. He was born and bred in fish ponds and has a wealth of knowledge about many things, including local history. I like talking about the stupid things, just stupid things that you don't really get so much of nowadays. So, like, I talked to you about animals just lots of just stupid stuff with animals so i went to school at dr bell's and our classroom used to look over the portcullis and the portcullis used to have a horse in the garden but it wasn't like a little shetland it was like a full-on big massive horse like you know um, and the garden's tiny there you know my auntie julie used to have goats and she used to walk the goats on the lead down, down the park. In Manor Road, in Fishbonds, Manor Road, just up the road. That's Jenny. She's Samuel's second cousin. And through Samuel, her and Maria, Samuel's mum, very kindly invited me to her house to eat dinner and talk about her life and Fishbonds. Um, there was a big house and there was... Oh, no. <laughs> And there was a big, <laughs> there was a big metal cage in the garden, and somebody kept a monkey. Kept that is monkey Jenny's there. clock. <laughs> it tweets every hour. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, there was a, um, a quite a big monkey, and it was kept in this sort of like iron cage. Oh, I mean, I remember being fascinated by that. I, I've got no idea. No. I just used to see it, you know, when we used to go yeah. visiting in fish ponds. Yeah. Do you know how the monkey ended up ended up being? I, I I don't. No, I'm afraid I don't know the story, but I'm sure somebody could find yeah. out. Yeah. I haven't done my homework, you see. Yeah. <laughs> <I don't laughs> <remember. laughs> I think my dad remembers the monkey, but I nobody nobody thought to go, what is that doing here? This is Maria.
in the Star Pub in Fishbonds. I remember going in one night and there was a guy sitting in the corner with a sheep on the lead and the sheep had the nappy on. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, it's a sheep, oh, how lovely, you know, nice, can I, can I pet your sheep? And he looked at me like, oh, just, you know, as if it, it was the most normal thing in the world to have a sheep on the lead and why was I, you know, bothering, making a big deal about it, you know? And, um, yeah, and then I, I used to see him in there quite regularly, but then I think he used to come across the bridge from Ridgeway Road. There's a little bridge that goes across the cycle path there, and apparently one night he was coming across there and somebody's dog was out. I asked Samuel about how fish ponds had changed in his lifetime. Some of the pubs have closed, so that the Cross Keys is closed, Barrier's Arms is closed, um, and coffee shops have opened up. Um, so you, you get this different constituency or different communities in, in fish ponds that are now coming up. So a lot of people, a lot of middle class people in fish ponds who would never have drunk in the star, how the star used to be. You know, I used to, I used to be, I was a stick up boy in the star when I was about 11. Just to get paid seven pounds, I think it was seven pounds a night. And they used to just give me loads of bass and get me really drunk on bass and I'd have to go to school the next day. Um, and I think that the Skittles were supposed to finish at like 11, but I'd end up staying there for like one in the morning. But I digress. Um, the sort of, yeah, the sort of people who, who were drinking the Star now never would have done it when, um, when Alan had it and it was, it was how the pub used to be. That's custom, I suppose, like, you know, but it's, it just, it's, it sort of exemplifies some of the changes in um, in fish ponds. Like, you know, I, I, I like the star how it is now. I liked how it was before. You know, that was my mum's local. We, used to, we were going in there when I was a kid. I went in there as a teenager and this sort of thing. You could say about some of the other pubs in fish ponds that, you know, there was a lot of people who wore open uh, iconography and this sort of thing. Um, but I don't think the star was one of them. The star used to be the the original Bristol Rovers pub. Did you know that bit as well? So before Bristol Rovers, I mean, that's probably, they were known as, I'm sure they were known as the Black Arabs. Yeah. Like that, yeah. yeah. And that was their base. That was, that was their, like, um, their home pub thing. So it's got like that very, very long history from years ago of, of being a, a pub there. Maria and Jenny spoke about shops in fish ponds and how they'd changed over the years. Yeah, so I was brought up in Downing, but my nanny lived in uh, Fishbonds and they had a shop on Lodge Causeway. So their shop was a radio shop and my grandfather fixed radios. It was um, AW&D Shattuck, wasn't it, their shop on Lodge Causeway. And I think that is now uh, the education centre for the mosque. So that sort of thing has changed over the years. And I mean, you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have a radio shop nowadays, would you? Were you there for the coronation? 
I think I probably was, actually. Yeah, yeah I, I don't remember, remember it very no. well. But um, My mum tells this story about how, because they had this radio and then they went, got into television shop on Lodge Causeway, they had a television for the coronation and um, nobody in the area had a television. So my nanny hosted whoever wanted to come in, really, to come and watch the coronation on their telly. And uh, she said that nanny didn't see any of the coronation. She spent the whole time, going, would you like another cup of tea? And then out of the room getting the cups of tea. Oh, for everybody, no. <laughs> you can imagine, can't you? <laughs> I, I came from Downend originally, and I live in Fishbonds, and have been doing now for about 27 years. I grew up in Downend, but my mum, we used to go shopping in Fishbonds. My mum used to take shopping in Fishbonds. And I can remember um, the bakery and tea room in at the Straits Parade. Um, there were lots of shops, and there was Woolworths, and there was a grocery shop. I don't know if it was Lipton's. It was one of those forerunners of supermarkets, really. It seemed like a very genteel, refined sort of place. I find Fishbonds now rather on the scruffy side. A lot of litter everywhere. But yeah, it's changed immensely since I, you know, since I was little, back in the early 50s. The name apparently derives from when it was a quarry district. When the empty quarries filled with water, they created large fish ponds. Or was it because of monks? Hmm. However, originally, the area was first recorded as New Pools in 1610 in a map of Kingswood, and subsequently fish ponds by 1734. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is James. I uh, live in Fishbonds BS16. My name is Michelle, and I also live in Fishbonds BS16. Do you know how Fishbonds got its name? It might be urban legend, but I think it was from where monks used to have a monastery or out this way, or at least farmed the area. And um, part, part of their diet was fish, and so they maintained fish ponds you know they had ponds full of fish um hence fish ponds the name uh, b but as i say that might be urban legend i don't exactly know if that's true or not have you got a favorite place or a favorite memory in fish ponds i think my favorite area is is uh, the park vassals park and we have the Froome river running down through it through the gorge uh, into snuff mills I, I, when I first moved here, a lot of people didn't even know it existed. Um, they know the Froome River because that's the river that feeds the docks in, in the centre, but um, not many people know its route. And, of course, for a lot of Bristol city centre, it's covered up now. They've built over it. There's roads, the M32, etc. But up this far, you, it, it's still a park and it's still a sort of an area you can walk, etc. There's no pollution. It's, there's a lot of wildlife. You can see some amazing things. If you're lucky, you get to see a kingfisher... There are some otters down there, which, if you're again, if you're amazingly lucky, you'll get to see the otters. But just to be able to walk along the river, enjoy 
when the weather's good. It's it's a beautiful place, and as like I said, it's a bit of a hidden gem. A lot of people don't even realise it's there. Huge parkland as park area as well, not just the walk down to the river. There's huge park spaces that the kids can go and run around, have football matches, and just generally have a good time. And it's it's a really nice area. I, the wildlife. I mean, we have a we, we often see a crane as well, um, or a crane, or is it a stork. it's a stork? Yeah, a uh, heron. You hear the woodpeckers around there as well. Yeah, woodpeckers and it's it's lovely. It's like highly recommend anyone to go and find it and have a walk around. Really pretty place. And also full of history, you know, because there were mills. There's weirs down there, and the mills in most places have disappeared. I mean, you know, they've collapsed or been removed, but the weirs are still there, and you can explain. And I think you can also find photographs of what the mills look like. But I think one of my favourite memories is on the way back from school. In the summer, we would stop and I would take a picnic with me. And, um, and we'd also take wetsuits or, or I'd say we'd take swim gear. We didn't. I mean, our son and his friends, they would just strip off down to their underpants and then jump in the river. And, you know, it was fantastic because the sunlight is dappled and you hear the running water and the kids, you know, having lots of fun. And the river's shallow enough it's 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 not um it's not fast moving in the summer uh at this time of year when we've had plenty of rainfall you know it can be really quite a torrent um but in the summer it's gentle it's clear dappled sunlight you're sat there you're you know um you're eating your sandwich or just having some drinks and the kids are playing having the best time of their life you know and it's a wonderful memory and i hope it's a wonderful memory that will stick with my son have you known anybody who went to the cinema? So I don't know anybody who had ever attended the cinema here. I, all I do know is it's now a pub, um, the Van Dyke, and the older part, the oldest cin- uh, cinema was what was once the Fishbonds Library, which I now know to be a community hall, or at least it's part of the school and you can hire it. Um, and the library then moved to the, to the, um, the council there's a council building next to the cycle path behind uh, what is now Morrison's car park. I only know that, though, through, you know, looking at old photographs of Bristol, that that's where the cinema was, and then it's moved to what was a bigger place and grander. And the only reason I know it was a cinema is because when you look at it, it looks like a kind of a cinema, and it's kind of confirmed in photographs, but it's now a, the, the Van Dyke Forum, I understand. So, um, well, no, I know it is because I've been in there. Have you ever known the hospital as a working hospital? Again, when we first moved here, Glenside, I think the majority of Glenside was already closed. And I know they've only recently just started to, to rebuild some of the sections, I think, now for housing. It's always been part of UWE, um, the, as far as I'm aware. I think it's the maternity side of the UWE learning. So I've, but I've never known it as actually a, a working hospital. Um, it, yeah, that's interesting, because I can remember when we first moved here, I, I was trying to stop the cats from fighting. And so I banged on the patio doors at the back. They were sort of, you know, small window panes. Anyway, I put my hand through it and cut my thumb open. Anyway, a friend of ours was, um, who helped us move was living with us for, for a short while. And he drove me to the hospital and he drove into the one on Manor Road, uh, Glenside, I guess, thinking that's where A&E would be. Um, and, of course, I went running into reception or what I thought was reception to be you know, met by a security guard who then um, sort of was surprised to see me, I think a bit, uh, a bit concerned that I had blood pouring from my, from my thumb. 
um, and then redirected us to French A. So, you know, we had to take a sort of trip. But we really didn't know. I mean, we just knew that there was a hospital there, or at least it's, I think, even signposted hospital. Did you know there were mines in fish ponds? I suspect, or I think there was mining around here. When we bought the house, we had to have a mining survey, make sure there wasn't a shaft under the house or in the garden somewhere. Um, and I, if I recall, of course, a lot of families around Bristol um, made, a, you know, a fair amount of wealth from mining. And I and Vassals used to be uh, an estate with quite a large house on it, um, located behind where the kids now play. It's now, unfortunately, been dismantled. I understand there might have been a fire in there, etc. But, you know, the land that even our house sits on was part of that estate, and which is now mostly parkland, um, the vassals, as we, we spoke about earlier. But I understand that they may have made their money from mining. Um, so I know that there are mines dotted around, as, as there is all around Bristol, I suspect. Oh, it always feels like David and Goliath when you're challenging authority as a member of the public. It, is, it always feels like David and Goliath because it's the presumptive for you to prove them wrong. There's an ancient woodland on the Fishpond Stapleton border. It's a very small ancient woodland. It's only 150 metres across and less than a mile long. But 11 years ago, it was the site of a battle between dog walkers and developers. This is the story of that battle. Let's start at 8.20 in the morning, meeting Hillary for a dog walk. Go on. It doesn't want to play with you. Go on. Smiley, come here. I've lived in the area for maybe 30 years. In that time, I've always had dogs, so I come for a walk in Grovewood maybe twice a day, and I always see kingfishers most mornings. Gosh, we're quite high up now, aren't we? <laughs> I know, you wouldn't think you were three miles from the city centre, would you? I have no idea. Do you, do you mind describing where we are? We're standing quite high up with the river below us, with bluebells and wild garlic. There's wood anemones, bracken, and some of the ferns are quite... Um, they're an old species. We did have a botanical... Um, expert come and tell us some of the plants so that we could use that as evidence that it shouldn't be uh, damaged in any way that it should be preserved I realise that the microphone's picking up that we're both out of breath (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, My my name's Chris Williams I'm uh, Vice Chair of Snuffers Action Group which is commonly known as SMAG and I'm a local resident I've lived in Stapleton and Fishponds nearly all my life. Snuffmills is part of uh, Bristol City Parks, but Grovewood is still owned by Lord Jafari, and he has one of the luxury apartments in Stoke Park Castle, which was, you know, originally one of the Beaufort homes. I did offer to buy the wood from him. I know he paid at auction £39,000, and I was with a group of widows who wanted to buy it then, but we weren't prepared to pay more than 25. As some of us had gained money from our late husbands, we would have renamed it Memorial Wood in memory of all the people. 
And I know my children were horrified that I might be trying to buy it. But uh, I said, oh, no, you have some woodland. What would you do with it? I said, I'd leave it in my will to Bristol City Council because they don't own it, so they don't have a responsibility for looking after it. Gosh, it is a bit hairy, this book, isn't it? Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's not a problem. I mean, I only live across the river, so I'm, I see the woods from my bedroom window. And, um, yes, it was several years back. So a developer started clearing it, chopping down trees and causing havoc. Initially, there was a clearing of um, undergrowth and, and, and trees. You, you heard chainsaws, so it, it wasn't just small saplings being pulled up. It was huge trees. Some of us went to tackle people that were doing it in the woods. There was a lot of shouting and then he got uh, security, so he said. Somebody to sort of um, man the woods, as he called it, to try and stop us coming through. Um, but uh, we, we knew that there was a public footpath through, so there was no way that they could stop us. Local people were very upset about it and didn't know what to do about it. But um, Steve McElwright, who worked for Avon Wildlife, he organised us into um, try and stop him cutting down trees. And slowly we formed a group. Stumpers Action Group, it was founded 11 years ago by local people. We were trying to fight to save the wood, but of course we, we had to call ourselves Snuff Mills Action Group because the, the land wasn't ours. And, you know, we campaigned from across the water, really. So we also campaigned to try and improve the gardens there. Today we're doing a bit of uh, pruning, uh, making space for, for more summer flowers to come through. My name's Mark Logan and I am the current chair uh, of Stuff Mills Action Group. And I got involved really on the garden side of it. That's what I wanted to do. So, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a lovely place to do some gardening on a Sunday morning. Now, I did meet Lord Jafari once. It was in, in the woods, in Grovewood. And uh, he was there with men and he seemed to be quite agitated because he recognised me as one of the people that were campaigning to try and save the wood. He was saying, you know, what, what's the problem? He doesn't understand the, why we're so keen to preserve our green spaces and our woodland. And at that time, my premium bond holding was £25,000. So I did offer to Lord Jafari, I said, I'll buy the wood from you for £25,000. And he said, well, what would you do with it? And I said, I'd keep it as it is. I want to keep it as a safe green space. But he wasn't interested. The management of the woodland is what we were concerned about. We tried to come up with management plans with them. We were just on such opposite poles. There was no middle ground. Um, so, and then it got very nasty um, uh, with uh, certain members of our group uh, and the landowner and the council and councillors. Accusations are flying all over the place about inappropriate behaviours. It all started because of the uh, landowner applying to fell a large amount of trees along Blackberry Hill. I managed to get hold of Lord Tavari during this project and spoke to him on the phone. 
but unfortunately he had major surgery two weeks ago and so very reasonably wasn't up to being interviewed which is a real shame because I would have loved to have had his perspective on what went on. I can tell you that during my research I found a planning application for him to put two porter cabins on the site to store his equipment because it was being, he alleged, vandalised by local people and logs that had been chopped up and piled up had been, he alleged, been thrown into the river. Because it was privately owned, we couldn't really have a brief, but what we decided to do was try and get it registered as a town of Village Green. I wouldn't uh, advise anyone to apply for a Village Green lightly. It's a very long-winded process, so you have to present all the evidence to show that legal sports and pastimes have been used by the locality for the last 20 years. So you have to clever all that evidence from statements and that, and you have to get people to stand up in front of the uh, inspector to do that. We had to get signatures and um, there's people that had walked in these woods and picked blackberries and wild garlic and everything for years. So we got people together to the hearing in City Hall. I think it was over about three days. I certainly attended two myself. It's um, very formal. In fact, you've got uh, a, a, an inspector who is trying to decide whether it is a town of Village Green or not. And then you've got Mr Jafari, and I'll call him Mr Jafari because uh, he doesn't own a title of Lord, that's his own name. His barristers and his lawyers and all that, uh, and they're, they're trying to state you're lying and everything, you know. So, you know. You've got to try and throw as much weight as you can behind it. I can remember being terrified when we gave evidence. <laughs> it was a really horrible experience. <laughs> in City Hall. It was very intense and um, lots of questions were fired at me. That I wasn't telling the truth that I was being put up by SMAG. Well, how long was I in SMAG? You know, that, that you know, people in SMAG didn't give a, an unbiased opinions and views. When we, when we heard that the Town and Village Green had been awarded in our favour, which meant that the Gravewood is safe from development forever now, then it was just a sense of a huge amount of relief and elation that we'd actually, all that hard work over the last four or five years had actually paid off. And we were right, you know, because you do doubt yourself over this whole process that are you doing the right thing, you know. So, yeah, it was, it was pure elation. Yeah, all we wanted to do was run round, meet up with everybody that was involved and celebrate. The day that we heard the news that um, we'd Grovewood had been granted town and village green status, oh, it was amazing because we really didn't think it was the first time a wood had been awarded a town and village green because it's usually open spaces. It had been quite a battle and it was just an amazing feeling of, you know, relief and satisfaction. <laughs> He's had a good time. How many eggs have you had, Rock? Reckon, Rocco. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and twenty. Twenty? Yeah. It looks like you've had twenty. Well, look at your chops. You've got chocolate all over there, haven't you? Yeah, we every year they come down. They love it. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
So, what does fish ponds mean to me? I remember going to watch the football with mates in the old post office pub, cycling through on the Bristol and Bath path and imagining the old train station. There's an upside-down fish statue made of bricks as well. And before it was a Morrison supermarket, it was a Safeway. Anyway, to finish up, let's hear from Leslie, who moved to fish ponds in the 1970s. Fortunately for us, where we moved into fish ponds, uh, we were living on Snowden Road, and the neighbours were incredible. And people came and welcomed you. People came to help you dig your garden and replant it. We'd only had a small patch in our old house of about six foot by five foot. And yet here we've got 100 yards of back garden that needed looking at. And the neighbours came with their tools to help my dad. And then also my brother helped my dad put down a base for a garage and these sort of things. But everybody was there to welcome, to help, and to just encourage you in um, your next part of life. Fishbond's a good place to be able to commute. Uh, I was working in city centre. My brother was working... um, at what was Bristol Poly in those days. And my mum worked um, at the local doctor's practice, and my father still went off to Portishead Power Station uh, each day as a shift worker to make electricity. Fascinating times. In Fishponds then in the 70s, we had some good schools. Um, We had a selection of shops And in those days, you could walk Fish Ponds Road and have everything from a small supermarket to a, yeah, very, very fashionable ladies' uh, clothes shop selling gowns and things like that. But over the period of time that we've lived there, uh, those shops have all changed. And we have very many more takeaways, cafes, all of that. And you've lost the... Uh, individual high street stores and those are some of the things that I know I miss because if you want something like that you've actually got to now travel either back into town or out to Yate or somewhere else we don't have any of those individual shops tell me a bit about the diversity in fish ponds and how it might have changed since you've been living there Yes, I think for us, we had grown up in a street here, uh, which was known at our local school as being an international street. We had Greeks and Chinese and Polish and West Indians and people from all around the world lived on this street. And when we moved to fish ponds, we were very white middle class, maybe moving towards middle class in our rank of where we lived, but great age ranges. So we had the really elderly in their 80s, right the way through, uh, down to young people with families. But within a decade of living there, that would be about right, our, um, the cosmopolitan 
change there was quite incredible, that we did have people who were African descent or West Indian descent. We had people who arrived from um, the Eastern European. Uh, we had a Russian family who came and lived there. Uh, we also had a Chinese family who came and moved into the neighborhood, which was really good because it began to give us that greater flavor. Um, I know when our daughter went to the local primary school when she started, she came back and she said, Mum, there's not much color there. She was used to it at church and Sunday school where there were lots of others. But again, she started primary school when she was a rising five. By the time Sarah, our other daughter, started school uh, quite a few years later, 13 languages were spoken in that same primary school as it had been when Hannah went. So uh, a lot of change within a short space of time. Where you live at the moment is just along the road from Blackberry Hill Hospital. What was it like living in close proximity? What is it like living in close proximity? I know um, there have been changes to that site, but what was your awareness of the people who were in that hospital? Right, when we first moved there in the early 70s, uh, a letter came round and was delivered to all the homeowners to say that they were proposing to open and build a secure unit, uh, which has now become Froomside, and they wanted to get the feeling of the neighbourhood. My parents were very much in favour of it. If it was going to happen, it was good. We already had Glenside Hospital dealing with people, particularly with mental health issues, and then the Old Manor Park Hospital dealing with the elderly. They were already there when we moved, and I remember my parents saying, if they want to expand the work, there needs to be somewhere where those who are mentally ill and need more secure. And there was acres of land. Uh, so they built, and it's been there. Um, late 80s, mid-80s, I went to work uh, for the trust and worked actually on site at Manor Park. Uh, Froomside has never uh, been any real problem to us. It's a brilliant place with great work. But they also now own quite a few houses. Uh, I live on Manor Road, so some houses, Manor Road and in the immediate location are the new community homes. So when people are moving out to get um, assistance and help while living in the community with support, we have houses. It works if people are um, happy to give and take in any community, things work. For this episode, I'd like to thank Jake Gould, Rosabel Portella, Sonia Jimenez, Rosa Eaton, and Sam Sayer. This podcast has been brought to you by BCFM, Bristol's first community radio station, in partnership with Bristol 24-7, Bristol Museums, Bristol Archives, and the University of the West of England, funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Cheers, mate. Bye.